Genesis chapter 13, if you have your Bibles. Genesis chapter 13, this evening. Uh, I think I mentioned this uh, story when it happened, but I, uh, I think it just it fits so well right here. This actually happened May of last year. When a passenger of, an, of a small airplane with no flight experience called into air traffic control in Fort Pierce, Florida, and said, I have a serious situation here. My pilot has gone incoherent, and I have no idea how to fly a plane. Around noontime, the air traffic controller named Robert Morgan was outside the tower, actually reading a book on his break, when his co-worker came and said, there's a passenger flying the plane that's not a pilot. The pilot is incapacitated, so they said you would need to help them trying to land. Morgan had, uh, not only was he an air traffic controller, for over 20 years, but he had also been a flight instructor for over 1,200 hours. Morgan told reporters, I knew the plane he was flying, I just had to keep him calm and get him to the runway. I'll tell him to reduce power so he could descend and land. Morgan proceeded to talk the first-time pilot through step-by-step, and he landed the Cessna Successfully, Morgan ran out to the tarmac and joyfully embraced his new student. Morgan said, I felt good to help someone who had told me that he couldn't wait to get home and hug his pregnant wife. There are times in life, circumstances are such, that you're going to have to trust God. Just like this pilot had to trust Robert Morgan to land him successfully in life, there's times you're going to have to simply trust God. Genesis 13, we were just, in Genesis 12, we were introduced to a man, his name is Abraham, or Abram at this time, his name has not been changed. Abram and his wife Sarai have been called by God to be a given a promise by God, given a future by God, given uh, a great uh, mandate, but yet they didn't know how it was all going to work out. They went on their way. There were some personal failures. They had gone out from the land of the Ur of the Chaldees, and they ended up seeing famine in the land, going down to Egypt, and there were some problems there. He comes back from Egypt in the beginning of chapter 13, and he makes a, goes to an altar he had made and previously, and he gets things right with God. And then he goes forward, but God begins to prosper him, and he and his nephew Lot begin to be so prosperous that they're, the land can't support them. In Genesis 13.7, which is not part of our text, but the background of the story said, so a dispute broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. That the, at, uh, and at that time, the Canaanites and the Pezanites 
were also living in the land. So the land, they've become so prosperous, the land can't support them. Things are not going uh, well, there's problems and such. And so now we're introduced to the story. Abraham says, we've got to separate. If you go east, I'll go west. If you go north, I'll go south. However this works out. And the Bible says, now we're going to pick up the story. Genesis 13, beginning in verse 11. It says, now Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. And he went there with his flocks and his servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents uh, to the place near Sodom and settled in the cities of the plain. But the people of that area were extremely wicked and constantly sinning against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving you this land as far as you can see to you and to your descendants as a permanent possession. I will give you so many descendants that they will be like the dust of the earth that they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled there at the oak grove belonging to Manra, and he built another altar to the Lord. I want to talk to you firstly about where Abraham is in life. Now you have to understand what's going on in Abram's life. There's lots of things that are happening. And so we use the term where you're at in life. This can be a term of physical. This can be just a term of your process in life, circumstances and such. And so in life we see that first of all, Abram is going through some difficult circumstances. There was disputing. There was separation. There's things that are happening. There's problems. uh, And as these things are going on, uh, Abraham, as the head of the family, simply could have told Lot, I'm going this way. Good luck to you. But he allows Lot to make the choice. Lot, of course, then picks what is the best. The grazing land. When I had the privilege of going to Israel many years ago, 1997, Pastor Mitchell took us to this very spot. And as we stood there, we could see the plains of Jordan and still there's a city there named Sodom. I can't believe anybody would actually want to live there, but there are people who actually do. And you see it, and it is, a, it is green, it is a totally a, a, a straightforward there place, and you look the other way, and it's not so good. But Abram could have told, I'm going that way, good luck to you. But he didn't. He let Lot choose. This left what was not the most advantageous situation and circumstance for Abraham. He had to choose a place where he was going to have difficulty. I have a picture of this land. And in this land, you'll see that it's not exactly... I I lived for many years in Ireland. Ireland has sheep everywhere. 
But this land doesn't really look like it's going to hold too many sheep. There's a very famous oak tree that is in this land, and you see behind its rocks, it's not exactly the best place for sheep. And so he's made the decision that I'm going to do this. You know, when people have troubles, they're sometimes shocked that Christians would have troubles. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have troubles. Paul wrote these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And so there's times where circumstances are going to seem to conspire against you. That circumstances, maybe it comes in people, maybe it comes in just uh, situations uh, of, uh, you know, uh, uh, times of maybe a recession or economic turndown. Your company has to lay off people. It could be something like that. There's times where life has these difficulties. Not only that, the people in the area, Manara, Manara, Simply, it, it, it's probably Aram, uh, Arama, uh, from the Amorites. It's a word that uh, means strength, it means fatness, it means lusty, like a lusty steed, strong and valiant. And so this came from the, the, probably from the people who lived there. That they were contrary to the, the, the people of God. It says that they were the Canaanites and the Pezerites. Hostile tribes. He's living in an alien society. That there are in the society around, it is geared not towards the promises of God. It is geared towards their own strength, their own favor their own mentality. It says uh, of our text, the people of Sodom, uh, which were, was just down the road, uh, in verse 13, uh, the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinning against God. Sounds like our generation that Paul wrote about. For you know this, Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3, Verses 1 through 4, that in the last days there will be very difficult times where people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving, slanderous of others, and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. That describes our day. There's people that they'll even attend a church. But they are given over to the sensual. They're given over to the worldly, the proud. This is exactly the environment that Abraham is living in. This hostile environment to his faith, to the promises of God. 
He's obeyed God. He's left everything. He's gone on his way to be what he needs to be. In Romans chapter 4, verse 12, it says, In the father of the circumcision, to those who are not only of the circumcision, or literally the Jewish people, but to those who walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. The picture here is that we're walking in the, by faith and we're going to walk through some of the same things that Abraham walked through. In life, you can't escape this. You think, oh, if I get saved, it'll always be good. We'll never have any problems. It will be always great. You know, sunny all the time. But that's not reality. Charles de Gaulle said the man with the man of character finds the special attractiveness in difficulty. Since it is only by coming to grips with difficulty that he can realize his full potential. Life has difficulties. There's circumstances and there's peoples and there's life. And they're all coming against Abraham right now. Not the end of the story, because at this point, after Lot had gone, God makes Abram a promise again. He says, look as far as you can see in any direction, to the north and south, to the east and west. I'm giving you all the land to you and to your descendants as a permanent possession. I will give you so many descendants that they'll be like the dust of the earth, that they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. Very interesting that is in the midst of all of these bad circumstances, God reiterates his promise, but he mentions a couple of things. He says, first of all, look. Look. Perspective. What are you looking at? What are you looking for? There's often far more to see. You know, the old joke is when a policeman says, move along folks, there's nothing here to see. You know there's something there to see, right? That there's the reality that God is trying to show you things. I was fascinated by this. The, the, uh, in, after Jesus is crucified and risen from the dead, Two of the disciples are leaving Jerusalem. They're going on their way to Emmaus. And while they're on their way to Emmaus, they're complaining. They're grumbling. It's like, you know, it didn't work out. So Jesus comes up and joins himself with these men. But the Bible says in verse 16 of Luke 24, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Their eyes were restrained, and they, he says, hey, boys, what's going on? And they start in. What, you don't, you don't read the papers? What, what's, you don't know what just happened in Jerusalem? Because how many know some people are so convinced that what's going on in their life is it? No one else, you wouldn't have a clue. They're so consumed with themselves. Their eyes, and so they're walking with Jesus. 
and they don't know it's him. Because their eyes, because they're focused on everything but God. Just a note, complaining people aren't looking towards God. Jesus finally begins to open the scriptures to them. He begins to tell them from Moses throughout the Bible what God was going to do. The Bible says, and then in verse 31, and then their eyes were opened and they knew it was him. And he vanished from their sight. Lesson number one you can take from that. The word of God will give you the proper perspective of life. The word of God. Second, Jesus is right there in the midst. They didn't know it. What has your attention? Your problems or God? Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Abraham, Abram, look. Look. Look at the promises. Look at what I'm doing. Look. The second thing we see that he tells him is walk. Verse 17, he says, go and walk. Some people, their mentality of life is, don't do something, just stand there. And God says, go do something. Go do what I've called you to do. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. One person said that some people are so worried about the word of God as it's a book of don'ts. But you know, if you start doing the do's in the book, you won't have time to do the don'ts. There's plenty of things that we're supposed to do in the faith and obedience have to go together. You have to take the promises of God and do something with them. Joshua 3, verse 1, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given it to you as I have said to Moses. There's something about putting the promises into action. Or as James says, faith with works. You say you have faith? I say I have faith and can show you by my work. James says we have to put the promises into action. God is revisiting the promise that he had given to him in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, when the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country and your family and from your father's house into a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And in my family uh, and in you all the families of the earth shall be 
blessed. God now begins to clarify some of this. He didn't tell Abram when he gave him the promises in Genesis 12 where that land was. He said, I will make your name great. I will give you a a great uh, family. Now he's declaring that his family will not be numbered. There's an expansion of this. Now there's the land. It's to the north, the south, east, the west. He's standing in the midst of it. He's in the middle of the promise of God, despite the conflict, despite the alien surroundings, despite the inhospitable land. He is in a place right in the middle of the promise and the will of God. There are many promises God gives to people. And you have to take hold of them. And you have to realize that your circumstances do not change God. They do not change His ability. I remember one particular man, he was trying to do his own thing. And Pastor Mitchell had made one comment. And the man accused Pastor Mitchell of derailing the whole plan and the will of God. One comment. Like one set of circumstances can change everything. You know, God's bigger than your circumstances. He's well aware of what's going on. It's in the midst of this place, the midst of these circumstances, Abram builds an altar. Verse 18, So Abram moved his camp to Hebron, settled near the oak grove belonging to Manar, and built another altar to the Lord. Whenever you see an altar in the Old Testament, It is a revelation of either who God is or how God works. You can mark it down that altars, I've studied at least 20 of them in sermons and in different uh, uh, Sunday schools and different things. Mark it down who God is and how God works. A revelation of his character and his dealings. In this altar that we see, Abraham is building an altar to the faithful God. That God, despite Abraham's failure, despite his circumstances, despite the inhospitable land, despite the aliens in the land, God is still faithful to his promise. Deuteronomy 7, 9 Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is faithful. Uh, He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commandment. Now, the caveat there, of course, is you have to obey him. But you obey him and God will bless you. He's faithful to you. He's going to stay and help you. He's the faithful God. It says to a thousand generations that God doesn't weary. People weary. 
People get into things, they get out of things. They're interested in one thing for a while, and then they're interested in another. He builds this altar in advance of what God's going to do. He simply says, you know what? God is bigger than my circumstances, bigger than the aliens, bigger than whatever's happening. He's, he's bigger, he's able to help me. And in advance, he doesn't own the land yet. He doesn't have the descendants yet. But in advance, he says, God, I can trust your faithful. See, we let circumstances change our mind, our action, our commitments. But God says, I don't change. In the King James, in the New King James, in Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 6, it describes God in, in, in the word immutable. That simply means he doesn't change. He's unchanging. He doesn't change towards you and I. If that is true, then you and I need to trust him. If God, one man wrote, if God was like men, one week we would be serving God in one way and with particular set of standards. And then next week the standards would change, be, be under a new set of rules. Then next year it would be all different again. But God doesn't change. Malachi 3 and verse 6, I am the Lord, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God didn't change his mind because Abram's circumstances had changed. He didn't change his plans because there was some difficulty. He kept on saying, no, this is what I will do because God is faithful. Abraham builds an altar. He responds to God's character. An altar, we have an altar call. People come and pray. And some will say that's the altar. Altar is simply a place where man and God meet. That's what it is. But some people treat it like a Catholic confessional. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And they walk away and they have no intention of changing because they don't grasp God's character. They feel religious, but they don't want to commit their lives. They don't want God to interfere in their morals or their money. Don't make me tithe. Don't make me live. No, no. I want the feelings. But see, those are people who don't trust God with their lives. They say, God, I'll trust you a point, but I'm going to take it back. Abraham's putting it all there. This altar is a mark of a commitment. In my Christianity, much like many others here, 
gone through a lot of services, gone through a lot of revivals, conferences, different things, but there are certain altar calls. There were certain times you met with God that you can remember that marked a change, a trust in God. God, I'm going to give it to you all. I'm going to do what you called me to do. I'm going to be who you called me to be. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. And he will neither fail you or abandon you. The true character of Jesus Christ is expressed as faithful and true. You can trust him. He doesn't change. And his word doesn't change. The Bible's not a changing book. It's when you change the word of God. When you begin to try to manipulate what God says to fit your own agenda. You're telling God you don't trust him. Oh, I know you said. I should do this. I should pay my time. I should go. I should. But. God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to really do what you said you'll do. And so therefore, I'm going to take it into my own hand, and I'm going to try to make sure it works out. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. See, the hope in every, for every believer is that God's going to help us. If we'll obey him and trust him, he's going to help us. That's the promise that we have. Do you trust the character of God? And if you do, is there evidence? Is there evidence? Abraham makes the altar, goes on. David Livingston was a Scottish man. He felt called to the continent of Africa. He went... This is back before modern communication and such, and he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had such impact in this area that he was in, in Namibia and parts of South Africa and uh, Zambia and such. They, they actually named a city after him. He had been chased up trees. He had been mauled by lions. He had been difficult in all of, all of that. And he wrote these words. He said, for my own part, I have never ceased in rejoicing that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made by spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings on the own blessed uh, reward in a healthy activity? The conscious of doing the good and 
peace of mind, the bright hope, the glorious destiny hereafter. Away with the word sacrifice. Say rather, it's a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffrage, danger. With now foregoing the common conveniences and the charity of this life. May make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let it only be for just a moment. All of these are nothing compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us and for us. I never made sacrifice. That's a powerful word written by a man who really did give his life, trust God. Does sacrifice me? Privilege. That's what it was. Serving God's a privilege. Going on outreach is a privilege. Praying in the prayer room is a privilege. Giving your tithe is a privilege. God blesses that. That's what Abraham built an altar to. My God's faithful. Not due to my circumstances. Anything I'm going through. Because I know my God. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you're here this evening and you're not right with God. You're not saved. You're not born again. You're backslidden. You're away from God. Maybe you've said, ah, it's too much. It's too much. I can't try. I've got to kick back. I've got to do it on my own. I've got to manipulate my circumstances. I've got to do what I... God says, trust me. Trust me. You'll trust me. I'm going to give you the promises I promised you. And it causes people then, when they pull back, to enter into sin. What is sin? Lying, greed, lust, covetousness, and bitterness, whatever you want to call it. It's manipulating your life, your way, instead of trusting God, do it His way. And if that's you tonight, you're not right with God, you need prayer. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me to get my heart right with God? Anyone at all? Changing the call then to Christians. Abraham, there were circumstances against him. But he said, I'm going to believe and trust God. Because you know what? My God is faithful. I don't need to worry, even though all of these circumstances, hostile ground, not advantageous for the sheep, aliens that are hostile towards the promises of God. But I can trust God to work this all out. Let's all stand. These altars are open. Don't come and just genuflect, do the Catholic thing. Talk to God. Meet with God. Let God help you.